I'm told we have to sing one more song. Everybody ready? So let's do this. Let's go. Uh, me, 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 me. Come on, help me out here. I need some help. Sing this with me. It's John Bowles' birthday. Yeah. So everybody go, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, John Henry Bowles. Happy birthday to you. All right. He takes cash. <laughs> I am making a mess here. Does everybody say power? Come on, power of a comeback. Say this, for every setback, Jesus has a comeback. That's right. So there is no setback in your life to which there will not be a comeback. Anybody know who Thomas Edison is? Handful of you. He invented the light bulb, among many things, and he also uh, uh, created the film camera and all of these things. So one year, Thomas Edison is having a Christmas party at his house, and on the backside of his property, he had about 100,000 uh, square foot uh, laboratory and uh, workspace. During the party, one of the servants came in and said, Mr. Edison, the, barn has caught, the laboratory has caught fire. And so Mr. Edison went out and he looked at it, and then he, told, he called his son out and he told his son, he said, son, go inside and get your mother and tell her to bring all the guests outside. And so the boy went in and brought the mother and brought all the guests, and he said, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to take a good look at this because you're never going to see another fire quite like this one. <laughs> <laughs> he 
He was 67 years old, and he lost everything. And 5.30 in the morning, the next morning he went in, he gathered his workers together, and his words to them were, we're going to rebuild. And rebuild he did. They asked him about it. He said, when you experience disaster, it's just the removal of old rubbish. It's a good way of looking at it, right? And it's an opportunity to build again, only bigger and better. Setbacks become permanent only when you don't view them as an opportunity for a comeback. And setbacks are going to come to all of us. Mike Tyson, he said, everybody has a good plan until life punches them in the face. We all got great plans until life punches us in the face, right? And the truth is, life's going to punch you in the face. It's inevitable. We don't want to get punched in the face, but life will do that to us. So the question isn't whether or not we're going to get punched in the face or we're going to experience difficulty or setbacks or pains. That's not the question. The question is, is what are we going to do when we experience them? And so there's a guy in the Bible who experienced some terrible situations. And today I want to talk to you about when setbacks seem impossible. When you've been set back and everything just seems, you, you seem like it's lost to such a degree that it's impossible for you to come back from it. And that's kind of what Thomas Edison faced. But there's a guy in the Bible, his name's Job. And Job lost everything. And he lost literally everything in a day. It's just gone. And so the book of Job is a pretty intense book. And there's a lot of layers to the book of Job. Uh, one of those layers is a theological understanding as to why this happened to Job, which I am not going to explain to you this morning. What I want to talk to you this morning about is what happens, what do you do when, this type, when these types of things happen to you? What, what's, your, what's your response when something bad or a setback happens in your life? So Job, in one day he lost his children, in one day he lost his business, he lost his livestock, everything that he had worked so hard for and built up was gone in a single day. Charles Spurgeon said, like the rising and the falling of the seas, so are the fortunes of men. Truer words never been spoken. Job loses everything. And so he looks up, and here's the, here's the verse in Job 30. He said, I looked for good to come, but evil came instead. I waited for light, but darkness fell instead. Here's the part we're all going to identify with. The churning inside of me never stops, and the waves of misery continue to crash over me. Anybody ever experienced that? You know exactly what it means. The churning inside of you just doesn't stop. And it feels like misery and pain is just coming on you in wave after wave after wave. What I want you to understand here, something about the Bible, is the Bible, to me, without a doubt, it's an amazing book. When you get a perspective of it and you begin to really see how it is, it's like no other book in the world. And there's plenty of reasons for that. But one of the reasons why it makes it so amazing is that God chooses to show people just as they are. People just like you and me, going through difficult situations, living lives of victory, living, living lives of defeat. And he also shows the emotional component that these people deal with. He shows the pain and the anguish that goes, goes with them trying to just simply live life. And so what's going on here is Job is feeling the pain of the loss, and he's really pessimistic. And so when you, get, when you lose something or you have a setback, say it with me. It's normal. Come on. It's normal to have emotional pain. It's normal. Mourning, when you have losses in the Old Testament, in the, Jew, in the Hebrew culture, God, it's in the scripture, actually. They were permitted to mourn for 30 days. So when they suffered a loss, they were allowed to mourn for 30 days. 
But the culture actually took it a little further, and they, had, they, they would say something like, if you have a significant loss, like the loss of a parent, they allowed you to mourn for up to a year, right? So, and the reason was, is that the emotions need time to process and to heal, that losses are real and losses are significant. I mean, in America, in our culture, I mean, a year, we, they'd give you 12 months. I think they'd give us 12 hours, right? You know, you lose someone, and they want you back at work the next day. And there's no, there's no period of mourning. There's no period of healing. And there's something about our emotions, and God knows there's something about our emotions, that when we suffer loss, there needs to be a lament, and there needs to be a reconciliation or a restoration of the emotions. It needs to happen. David talked about the restoration of the soul. Well, what's the soul? The mind, the will, and the emotions. So our mind, our will, and our emotions need to be restored, restored from a lot of things, but particularly there needs to be a restoration that happens to us when, when we suffer pain and we suffer loss. It's normal. And so, again, in church culture, we typically don't give people an opportunity to mourn. It's very not, you know, we just society itself tells you just pull, your, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and go on and, and we, we just want to move everybody right along and, and what needs to happen here is the same thing that's happening inside of Job. You have to acknowledge the pain of the loss. You, you lost something or you lost someone. There is or was a setback. That happened. You know, it's a popular saying now. That just happened. It did happen. And so denying it is not going to help you heal. It's only going to prolong the emotional pain. You have to acknowledge it, and you have to deal with it. And so Job is like pain, and the misery is coming over him. And right now, he's not in a position of faith. So he's really not the guy you want to talk to about the love of God at this point, right? He comes back around, but at this point, he's very pessimistic. And he's feeling these waves and these pain of the losses that he's just experienced. And somebody told me, if you want to borrow money, you always borrow money from a pessimist. And you know why? because they never expect you to pay it back. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the pessimist never thinks you're going to pay it back anyway, so hey, why not, you know? So there's, this is called, the, uh, psychologists will call this the cycle, right? The cycle of pain. So when something happens to you, you're going to experience shock. And that's usually where the trauma comes. The shock, and then from the shock comes fear. From the fear comes confusion. From the confusion comes anger. And from anger oftentimes comes depression. And then uh, the last place is the place of acceptance, and that's when the cycle has been complete. But when you're at the place of acceptance, you can go one of two ways. You can accept the fact that this happened and acknowledge that it happened and then choose to move on, or you can accept the fact that it happened and choose to be a victim of it the rest of your life. It happened, right? But moments don't have to define you. A moment in time, a loss, a failure, um, a death, or whatever it may be, whether you've lost a business or you've lost a marriage or you've lost money or you've lost a reputation, whatever it is that you've lost, that moment does not have to define you. You can let it define you, but God is never telling you to let it define you. You have to choose from a place when you reach that point of acceptance, and a lot of people can never get out of this place of despair. They get, we're, we're, we're lost. Sometimes we get stuck in anger. We just can't get past our anger. You know, and sometimes we get stuck in depression, but we have to reach that point of acceptance. You have to acknowledge, look, that happened. It was terrible. It was unbelievably terrible. And that is just the reality. And then you have to accept that that happened. And then you have to choose to move forward, choose to hope with hope and move forward. And that's really what it's all about. So Job is not, the, the book of Job, what I'm talking to you about this morning is not just about why, but I want, I want, because you're never promised a perfect life. I don't know if you know that or not. <laughs> And Jesus never promised you a rose garden. He never promised you a perfect life. 
He never did, because we're, we're on earth, we're not in heaven. He says this in John 16, he says, I tell you these things so that when this stuff happens, you can be at peace, right? And what is he telling them? He says, in this world, you will have trouble, but have courage, take heart, I've overcome the world. So we've overcome the world. Jesus is overcoming, but he, he tells us you're gonna have problems in this life. It's, a, it's inevitable, it's going to happen. And those problems are not from God. That's important to understand. The, the problems that exist in our life are because of broken people, broken systems, broken choices. Sin has caused the earth to fall. And because of sin, that's why everything's messed up. That's why there's greed. That's why there's corruption. That's why there's abandonment. That's why there's abuse. That's why there's violence. That's why all of those things exist. Those things don't exist because God willed them to exist. There's the wheat and there's the tares. The tares are the weeds that grow up among the wheat. God willed the wheat but the tares have come and now exist in, in our lives. And so sin, sin has broken us. Sin has broken the world. Sin has broken the whole system. Another thing that sin has broken is sin has broken you emotionally. And it's really important to deal with this because one of the things the church is not is we're not emotional. We don't teach the people that we don't preach any kind, any kind of tolerance in the level of emotions. If you're dealing with pain, well, hey, just get over it. Just, just, you know, we're not, we don't give any kind of uh, place to it. And because I don't think we really have the answers. And so because we don't have the answers, what we do is we try to create in our churches, we create stoic religious statues who don't have feeling, who don't have emotion. And all they do, they're just, just stoic rock standing on the word of God. You know what I'm talking about? It's, it's true. We, this is what we create. And the reality is, is we have to understand things at an emotional level. We're created as emotional beings. We're created spiritually, but we're created with emotions. And our emotions are given to us so that we can experience God and we can know God. That's why he gave them to us, so that we can know him. We can know his love. We can know his compassion. We can know his joy. We can know his hope. We can know his goodness. That's why the emotions are given to us. But what sin has done is sin has broken the emotions. We're broken at the emotional level. And the church talks a lot about spiritual healing. There's three areas of healing, and Jesus is author of all of them. He is a holistic healer. He heals spiritually, he heals emotionally, and he heals physically. And he's never stopped. Never stopped. Now, I teach you guys this because it's important to understand. Everybody say this with me. Wherever there is bloodshed, there is redemption. Jesus' blood was shed in three places. Isn't that interesting? Shed in the garden, right? Shed with the whips and shed on the cross. We throw all the blood that was shed on the cross. That's the only area of significance that we focus on. And we forget that there were two other areas where he shed blood. He shed blood in the garden and he sweated through his brow. And what was he doing? He was in anguish of emotion. So he shed blood so that their emotional healing can come to mankind. The blood was shed so that that area of man's existence, emotion, pain, will, suffering at the emotional level could be healed. But he shed blood when the whips were put upon his back. And the Bible defines that one for us. By his stripes were what? We're healed. And we think, oh, it's by his stripes we're healed of sin. First of all, the stripes on his back and the whip on his black and the blood that took place in that place had nothing to do with sin. Nothing. The cross is what dealt with sin. The blood on the cross is what dealt with, spirit, with the spiritual. It was only at the cross that it was overshadowed with darkness. That's where judgment was dealt with, on the cross. And that blood heals us spiritually. But the blood in the garden pr creates provision, okay? It creates provision for you to be healed emotionally. The blood 
with the whips, when he was beaten with whips, that creates the provision. He paid with his flesh. He paid with his emotions. So he shed blood in these three areas in order that redemption can be made available. There is emotional healing available to the Christian. Okay? I do inner healing with people. I've had people sit in there and do inner healing with me. And, oh, man, no, no, this is going to do anything for me. I'm never going to do anything. I've been to so many psychologists. that oh, They tell me all this stuff. And I'm like, what's the psychologist tell you? And they're like, they tell me I just have to live with it. I'm like, well, that's not what my Bible says. And so we, do, we go through a process, and I try to explain to them, listen, Jesus has made a provision to the believer to be healed emotionally. It's available. You may not want it, you, you know, because it's vulnerable. Say this with me. Healing is always at the point of pain. Always. If you don't go to the point of pain, you're not going to be healed. It's that simple. You want to get healed spiritually? You got to acknowledge you're a sinner. That hurts. Does that not hurt? Does anybody feel good? You want to skip down the road and, you know, shoot off, you know, party poppers? I'm a sinner. I'm lost. Nobody wants to do that. You have to acknowledge the fact that you are sinful, that you have been, you are lost and you are without hope. And you have to be, and that hurts. And when you do that, their healing now can be provided for you. Emotional, it's the same thing. You have to be willing. It's not, it's, it's hurts, but healing is always at the point of pain. When you go to a doctor, when you got a gunshot wound, what's he going to do? He's going to probe you isn't he? He's not, you know, if, you get, if I get shot over here, he's not going to come over here and look at my left arm when I got shot on the right side. You know what I mean? Oh, I just want to make you feel comfortable. Your comfort is what's going to heal you. No, digging in the wound is what's going to make me comfortable. Getting the bullet out that's causing the infection. Healing is always at the point of pain. So the provision, uh, this is important to understand, Christian, the provision is available, is available. Church is woefully ignorant on this stuff, woefully. We barely do we even understand phys physical healing. Barely, can, if at all, can we manifest physical healing. Just because we can't manifest it doesn't mean that God didn't give it. Woefully ignorant on the emotions, woefully. We deny that area completely, completely. We act like that's not it. We, you know what we do? We give you a verse. We give you a bunch of verses. We give you a few chapters, right? Go home and read these books. Go home and read these books. Get yourself into a small group. Get yourself some accountability partners, and everything's going to go great. No, it's true. Go and celebrate recovery. All of that stuff, listen, I don't want to be negative on all that. All of that stuff has a purpose. It brings you to a point, but it doesn't take you all the way around the bases. That stuff doesn't cause you to cross pain. Go, go. You're still vib you, can go, you can go to these groups, and you're still vibrating at the emotional level. And no amount of verses, and no amount of small group, and no amount of, no, no amount of anything is going to take away what you feel at the emotional level. You can quote verses, you can read books, you can memorize scripture. You can be in an accountability group and discover, uh, celebrate recovery five days a week, 10 hours a day, and it doesn't take away what's going on internally. And those of you who know what I'm talking about, you, you can agree. This is, a, this is an, an, another issue why pastors fall. We think pastors are these ascended people. The pastor that, everybody's got junk. And if you don't deal with your junk, your junk will deal with you. <laughs> if you don't deal with your junk, your junk's going to deal with you. Sooner or later, it's going to happen. My wife and I, we, we, I'm brutal when it comes to this, especially even with myself. I, I do this stuff with myself all the time. I am like, I, I don't play games because I, don't, I, don't, I know what the enemy is doing and I know where his cards are. The enemy can't play cards again. What he, what he plays against you is what's in you. Jesus said the prince of this world comes, but what? 
He has nothing in me. There is nothing in me that he can play. There is nothing in me that he can accuse me of. There is nothing in me that he holds a right over. Can you say the same thing? And people say, I'm born again. I get it. You're born again spiritually. But why do you dance like a puppet? Getting quiet. Why do, you, why do certain situations make you dance like a puppet? Why, when you get around certain people, does it bother you? Why, when you're in certain circumstances, does it bother you? Why, when you see certain things on TV that triggers a painful memory, does it bother you? You're saved. You're born again. No doubt. No doubt. The devil's going to lie to you and tell you you're not saved, but you're saved. You're just damaged at the emotional level. And we have to understand that Jesus is a holistic healer. He heals spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And we have, in all three areas, we have to be humble. People that get prayed for when again when they're sick. I mean, it's amazing. I'll get a word of knowledge and I'll say, hey, there's somebody here like this, whatever. My favorite one is the liver. Hey, somebody here has got a liver thing? I mean, the Lord told me flat out, female liver. First service I go, this was a few months back, last year. There's a woman here, she's got an issue with the liver. Anybody here? Crickets. Nobody stands up. Nothing happens. <laughs> So I'm like, let's try it again. Second service. Second service. Woman here. There's a woman. You have liver issues. Is that you? Anybody here? Crickets. Nobody stands up. Two weeks later, Mimi. Okay. I told her because you didn't stand up. I'm using your name every time now. Mimi comes to me. Oh, pastor, you know, you called out the liver and um, you prayed and, you know, I didn't stand up, but I... I prayer, and I went, to, uh, I went to my friend who has a sonogram, and I've had spots on my liver for all this time, and she said, so I had her do the sonogram on me, and she goes, and now I don't have any more spots on my liver. So she told me, yeah, right? And she, she, she's here. I'll, 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 get her. I'll have to get her to tell that story one time. I had another lady, same thing with a thyroid condition. She had a thyroid condition. I said, women here, thyroid condition, stand up. I had a couple people, but it, you know, this one woman came to me afterwards, and she, she tells me like weeks later, and I never, first of all, for the record, I never told anybody to go off their medicine. That's, that's not what, I don't, I didn't do that. She said she received the prayer. Her daughter kept nudging her, mom, that's you, mommy, that's you, mommy, that's you. And she did, but she didn't stand. She just received the prayer. And she comes to me like three weeks later and she says, I haven't been taking my thyroid medicine. And I said, are you perfectly fine? She said, yeah, I haven't seen her in a while because her, her family moved away, but she was here, uh, uh, before Christmas, and I saw her, and I went up to her, and I go, hey, how's the thyroid? She said, I haven't had one issue with my thyroid since, since the prayer. But the, my point isn't that they were healed. That, that, that's true. Uh, Cella was like, she goes, Kevin, you know, you've seen at least three miracles. The Catholic Church could venerate you as a saint. That's what she told me. <laughs> I told her, they're over by my son's school. There literally is a Catholic Church call. I was going to take a picture and send it to her. There's a there's St. Kevin's, right? I know there's a, that's not, that's not the point. I know, it's just a joke. No, nah, it's not, you know, the glory is the Lord's. But the, um, but the point was, is that why did they not stand up? Because it requires humility, you see? And it's very, it's very you know, what are people going to think of me? Oh, you know, what are people going to think of me? Well, who cares, you know? The provision has been made. You know, what's the guarantee? I, I don't know, but the, the odds are pretty good. If Jesus calls it out specifically, you know, and I'm working on it. I'm working on getting real specific. I mean, I knew a guy, he would, he'd call out by name. There's a lady here. Your name's Kathy. You're someone in your family named your, your grandmother, your great-grandmother named Anna. You grew up in a farmhouse in Minnesota. And he just like lays it out like in Technicolor. This, he goes, who is that? This woman walks up. My name's Kathy. My great-grandmother's name's Anna. I was born in Kansas City. Not Kansas, but Kansas City. So, okay, you know, and he just, I mean, right on the money. 
right on the money, like zero. You don't think there's a miracle going to happen there? Are you crazy? (laughs) So they said to Bartimaeus, be of good cheer, the master calls. Be of good cheer, the master calls. Mina, you were here of a tumor on your breast, were you not? 100%. She had a tumor on her breast, completely gone. My, My wife had tumors on her ovaries, completely gone, completely gone. I got to believe God for more healings this year. We're going to manifest this. We're going to manifest this as a church. Come on. He heals spiritually. He heals emotionally. And he heals physically. Every, it's because he cares about you at every level. And he knows people have damaged you. Our biggest problem, sin has wrecked us emotionally. That's why when stuff happens to us, our emotions just fragment, don't they? They just go, you know? Because we were not created to know evil. Man was created to know good. He was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Man was never created to know evil. Man was created to know good. And when he experienced evil, the the design that we have, it just fragments us. And so emotionally, we're just really broken from the experience. And Jesus, you don't think Jesus knows that? He's well aware of that. And he he creates a provision where blood is shed, there is redemption. Where he shed blood power is there. He wasn't just flinging blood everywhere, people. He intentionally and strategically allowed his blood to be shed. Nobody took the blood out of him. He gave the blood in the garden. He gave his back to the, bu- to the abuse and the bruising, and he gave his, he gave his blood on the cross. No, that, wasn't, that wasn't by accident. Everything Jesus did was by design, on purpose. Nothing accidental going on here at all strategically designed. And the revelation is to those who are wise enough to hear and to discern what's going on. Church misses this revelation wholesale, but it's right there in the Word. You can discern the sky by, you can discern the weather by the sky, he told the Pharisees, but you can't discern visitation when it's right in front of you. Full of knowledge, but spiritually dull. What we need to do is we need to see that, and we need to know provision is available. Emotional healing is is available. Well, how do we do that? We don't know what we're doing. Well, duh, we don't know what we're doing, but it's possible. So what we need to be is a people of venture, and we need to begin to explore these arenas. We need to have an R&D development, a research and development area where we begin to explore. Sherry and I, we have these crazy conversations, so we just, I don't know, so coming to our house is like nuts. We were talking about like how Paul began to uh, pull out handkerchiefs and people get it healed from the handkerchiefs. You guys know that story where he's whipping it? Was it Peter? Was it, it was Paul. Peter was the shadow. Paul was the handkerchiefs, right? So he began to pull out handkerchiefs. And do you know what that is? How did Paul know? It was just divine discovery. He gave somebody, you had a bunch of people healed off an anointed handkerchief, right? Hank anoints this handkerchief, gives it to it's people, do a bunch of crazy stuff. And he's got, it's like, I was telling you, it's like the handkerchief miracle. People were getting healed off a handkerchief. How did Paul figure out you could heal from a handkerchief? He just handed somebody a handkerchief. Here, go lay this on him. And they're healed. And he was like, wow, I guess that works. Okay, so then he started handing them out. It's discovery. And we have to discover how this works. We have to discover what, what's available to us. And then we discover, and we discover there's a key here. And then we discover there's a method here. And then we discover there's a purpose here. And there's multiple keys to the divine, multiple it's not one. That's why Jesus, somebody's like, well, Jesus never healed the same way twice. Exactly. And do you know why? Because he's showing you there's a lot of keys to that door. That's what he's showing you. It's not just one key. There's a lot of keys to the door. The atmosphere, the faith, the declaration, the authority, the demonic, all, all. There's keys to everything that's going on here. It's not simplistic. 
Well, I could go off on healing, but you know, that's the thing. It's like we think when we lay hands on the sick and they're not healed. Well, there's a lot of reasons why that door isn't open. There may be another reason. We have to know what the keys that are. I give you what? The keys to the kingdom. The keys to my dominion, to the king's dominion I'm giving to you. We have to discover the keys that are given to us, and we have to learn to open them. Ladies and gentlemen, there are keys to every sphere of life. Every one. You want a key relationally? He's got one. He's probably got ten. You want a successful relationship? He's got a ring of keys for you. Are you going to take them? Are you going to discover them? Are you going to apply them? There's keys to financial blessing. There's keys to breakthrough. There's keys to redemption. There's keys to transformation. There are keys. Keys. And the, the keys that Jesus gives, it just doesn't happen by accident. We go, well, if God wanted to say, I mean, like, really, does your car start by itself? Does your, it doesn't. You have to, your, your door, when, your door, when you come to your house, your door doesn't see you and go, oh, so glad you're home, Kevin, and the doors open up for me. I have to turn a key or I have to turn a knob. I have to physically do something or spiritually do something in order for that to happen. It just doesn't happen. And so what we have to do as Christians, we have to realize what's available to us, and we have to begin to press in, and we have to do research and development. I just used, um, what is his name, uh, Edison, and you know, he burned in, his whole thing, burned out even 10,000 times on a light bulb. I, I, is there anybody in the room that would try something, the same thing, 10,000 times? I mean, variances of the same thing, 10,000. Do you know how many times 10,000 is? I mean, we try like 10, and we're like, well, tried it 10 times. It just, I mean, that is such determination because he, you know why he was so determined? Because he knew it was possible. He's like, I know this is, this is possible. The problem isn't with the possibility. The problem is with me. So I need to keep changing me or changing the experiment or changing the design until I come from here into what is possible. We have to be the same type of people. It's possible. I tell people, you don't think Jesus wants, he doesn't want financial engineers for his church. You don't think Jesus wants people who are wealthy and established that will fund whatever he says? You ever realize what Google does? Google can do anything they want, anytime. They want to do an electric car? Yeah, we're going to do an electric car. They want to do satellites? They do satellites. They are that wealthy. That company, there's a handful of companies on the earth today that nothing restrains them. Nothing. They can do it. Governments don't even restrain them. They're so powerful. They're multinationals, empires of companies that have potential to do anything they want whenever they want. Should we not have that? Should that power not be in the church? I'm not talking about carnality, but I'm talking about should, not, should it not be where we have the resources and we just say, well, what nation are we going to change this year? I don't know. Let's go with the Dominican Republic. All right. Whack. And we begin to execute a plan where finances are not our problem. Resources are not our problem. Our problem, what our problem is, is we can't see past ourselves. <laughs> That's our problem. God will give it to you if he can get it through you. Our problem is we have no vision beyond ourselves. And we, we, we think in such limited terms, and I get it. We think about paying the rent and paying the car and putting gas in. We, we think about all just the, the, the necessities of life. That's what we're thinking about. And I'm right there with you. I'm not like above this. But what I'm trying to do, and I always try to push myself past the necessities of life and try to see things at a higher level. Because if all I do is see life in those terms, that's all the life I'm ever going to have. 
You will never go beyond what you're seeing. And if all you're worried about is putting bread on your table and putting gas in your car, say this with me. Jesus. Jesus. Okay, let me get this right. Okay. <laughs> say, it, say it with me. Jesus wants to bring me, come on, from survival to success to significance. If all you're doing is surviving as a believer, that's not God's intended purpose for you. That's not his intended purpose. God wants you to not just survive, live hand to mouth. He wants to establish you and make you successful. Success means you have enough for you and enough to share and enough to give and enough to do something. Significance means you are in a position where you can really bring substantive change. That's what significance means. And none of it has anything to do with you. Significance means you're in a wealth position to $100,000 was called for you to do it, you would, you would give it. Most Christians couldn't do it. That's why they don't have a million dollars. That's why they don't have $250,000. That's why they don't even have 150. If you have $150,000 in the bank and God said, I want 100 of it today, would you give it? Would you give it? What if he had $1,000 and he said, I want 750 of it today, would you give it? You say, well, I'd give the 100. No, we, no, you wouldn't because you wouldn't give the 750. This is the type of faith, this is the type of stirring that has to happen. This is the type of thing that has to go forth. We have to see it in light of that. And God will mark the person who will do what he commands. But as so long as we live in a self-terminating way where everything's about us, all we will ever do is live hand to mouth. And maybe, 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 I would probably, I mean, if I wanted to do statistically, I would probably say 40% of believers live in, live in survival. 60%, maybe, I would say less than that, a fraction actually hit significance, a fraction. And just because they have money doesn't mean they're significant. There's a lot of wealthy Christians that don't do anything significant. They do nothing significant. God has called you to be significant. To pursue happiness is a luxury. To pursue significance is a moral obligation. You were created to be great. God didn't create you to pursue happiness. He created you to pursue meaning. That's what you're created for. That's what I am. That's what you are in Christ. That's why, we can't, that's why Christians have a hard time finding happiness. That's why people have a hard time finding happiness. Because all you're trying to do is find things that make you happy. And what you end up with is a shallow existence. You got the new phone. You got the new computer. You got the new car. You got the new house. You got the new dog. You got the everything. You know, you got the new, you got the new app. And then you find yourself not happy. Why are you not happy? Because you're not pursuing significance. You're not pursuing meaning. Happiness will not come unless you're pursuing, and meaning, so you know, meaning is gonna cost you something. Meaning is gonna make you sacrifice. Meaning extracts something from you. Happiness draws things to you. Meaning takes it from you. And when it's taken from you, what God, whatever God pulls out of you, he puts back multiplied times over. So whatever he pulls out of you, Jesus said, you have not given anything for my, for my sake that will not be rewarded in this life and in the one to come. Whatever God pulls out of you, you can rest assured he's going to give it back to you in spades. Sin causes an emotional response. Conversation with you. So one of the things that has to happen, the first thing that happens when you suffer a setback is you have to realize that emotions are part of the game. They're natural. You don't need to beat yourself up because you're having an emotional freak out. We all, I mean, Job's having an emotional freak out. If you read the life of Job, that's all he did. He worshiped morning, noon, and night. And when he had a loss, he had an emotional freak out. So you're going to have an emotional freak out. 
The question is, that's not the question. The question, the, the deal is, is that you don't stay in the emotional freakout. And you have a conversation with the Lord. So there's a trust. So what we're going to do is we're going to deal with what does it mean when you, how do you deal with a setback? What does it mean when you, how do you deal with a setback that seems like you're not going to have a comeback? Is it T-R-U-S-T? And the first T is to tell Jesus how you feel. Tell him how you feel. For the record, God can handle your emotions. He can. He understands. He, he gets it. And so I'll give you two verses. I, I, somehow these got lost in my notes, but there's two verses in Job. And the first verse says, this happened to me, and therefore I was angry. Okay, so Job has experienced his first, his first momentum is that he suffers loss, and he's telling the Lord how angry he is, right? The second one was, Job has another response. And he says, in the process, he said, I bowed myself to the ground. I, I looked at my loss or whatever it is, however he put it. I acknowledged what, I, what, what was going on. And then I bowed myself in worship. And what's interesting is neither way was corrected by the Lord. He accepted both ways. So when Job came to him in anger and said, I don't like this. I don't feel like this is fair. And he was mad about the circumstance. God accepted that from him. He never corrected Job. So that's a perfectly acceptable posture with the Lord. Then the second time when Job came before the Lord in worship, and he was humble, and he was in intimacy, and he's like, Lord, I don't understand this. I feel a lot of pain. This hurts me. You know, however, whatever he was dealing with, and whatever the way was he was dealing with it, he went about it with anger, and he went about it with intimacy. And what you need to see is that both ways were God accepted. And so, because the key to this whole thing is, is a conversation with God deepens the relationship. When you avoid him, that's not going to help anything. And a lot of, we're taught, we don't, don't, don't you ever be mad with God. Don't ever, don't you ever be angry with God. Well, I wish my kids were like that. My kids were never angry with me, the parent, you know. Any, any parents here who know, when your kids get mad at you? You know a little bit more than your kids. I don't, I don't know. That's why I tell my, I tell my son that. I'm like, I'm two of you. So whatever it is you think you know, multiply that by two, and then you've got me, all right? So let's just be clear. <laughs> whatever, however, whatever, whatever level of intellect you think you possess, whatever level of wisdom you think you possess, multiply that twice, and then you want, that's, that's who I am. I've been on this planet twice as long as you. I've experienced way more things than you, and so I'm a little smarter than you, right? It's true. Yet, at the same time, they don't agree with you and they don't like what you're saying, even though you know that you're smarter than them and you know that what you're telling them, they can't see. And, but at the same time, that's okay. He can converse with me. I never, I, I, I'll, I'll hear him. But we have an opportunity with the Lord to talk to him and he doesn't reject you for being angry. It's normal. It's normal. Okay? So what happens when you, when you converse with the Lord? All right? So what happens when you... I'm a slide ahead. Uh huh. See, I got this fancy thing here. Isn't everybody? Ooh, ah. It's so fancy. It's not working. Okay, go. Uh, now it's really working. Let me go back. Now it really wants to work. All right. So the first thing is to trust the Lord. And what happens when you trust the Lord is you learn. You learn to hear Him. You practice the presence. All right. And so Job's. Where am I? Am I too far ahead? Let me go back one. No, I'm not. There I am. All right. So I'm looking at it here, and I'm looking at it here. We're trying to make changes here. We're trying to make this, this a little bit more fluid. And when you try to make stuff more fluid, it doesn't always, it doesn't always smoothly go. <laughs> Job's perspective. So conversation with Jesus deepens the relationship. What happens when you, when you converse with the Lord? You know what you're going to learn? You're going to learn that he accepts you no matter what. 
When you come to him and you're angry and you're upset and you're mad, you know what he's going to do? He's going to go, wow, you're talking to me. This is fantastic. I'll give you guys just a little window of my life. This is years ago, but it was, this is when I learned, this is one of the ways I've learned this lesson. I've learned it many times. I'd love to say I learned it once, but I've probably had to learn it a lot. Um, one day I, I hadn't been, you know, I was, I was upset about a lot of reasons, a lot of things, and I was just really, I was, uh, let's just say, I wasn't as spiritual as I am now, but I was in a place where I was just mad at God. I hadn't really spoken to the Lord for a while, you know, because I was upset about some things because I didn't realize I was very ignorant. I was taught I was taught good things, but I wasn't taught right things. I wasn't taught the power that was actually given to me. Even though I knew about spiritual authority and all that stuff, I wasn't really taught that it's a partnership with the Lord. And so the ex- this is back when I'm in my 20s. And so the expectation that I had was that God was going to do it for me. This is why I can so clearly teach you that, because he's not going to do it for you. He's going to do it with you. And so my expectation was that the Lord was going to do it for me. And so I was driving in my car, and I was really angry, and I was really upset, and I was just telling the Lord how I felt, rah, 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 whatever I was barking at the, that day. And I just felt this presence of the Lord in the car. And the, the, the Spirit of God, I felt it was in a car, and I heard the Lord, I just felt like the Lord was going, wow, Kevin, you're talking to me. This is fantastic, you know? And I just felt like the Lord was so grateful that I was talking to him. Meanwhile, I'm raging. You know what I mean? Arr, 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 arr. <laughs> and I learned that no one's holding me back. The only person that's holding me back was me. And I was upset at where I was in my life. And I, you know, I had to confront a bunch of stuff with myself, the fear of man, the, the you know, insecurity. I had to confront a lot of issues with myself. But the point was, is that that moment, I was very upset with the Lord. Anybody ever been upset with the Lord? Yeah, okay, all right. If you haven't been, you will be. Do you know, <laughs> he intentionally disappoints you, and he intentionally does that because he shows you you can have a good life, but I can give you a great life. And what he'll show you is, is your dreams aren't big enough, your desires aren't big enough, your wants aren't big enough. They're misaligned. That's what he does, and that offends us. And that, wait a minute, I like my plan. I know what I want. He goes, yeah, I know what you want, Kevin, but that's not what you're made for. That's what you want, but you were not created for that. I didn't wire you. You can do that, and that would be good, but I wired you for greatness. And if you'll do what I wired you for, you'll know greatness. But if you keep doing what you want to do, you're only going to know goodness. And some people get satisfied only with goodness. God has greatness. He has greatness. Yes, the goodness of God. Thank God we have a revelation of the goodness of God. But can we go to another level and can we have a revelation of the greatness of God? How great thou art. Don't we sing that song? What does that mean? He has greatness for you. And a lot of times the thwarting and the frustration that, man, we're having like a good session here this morning. I'm feeling all this. This this good stuff coming out. But a lot of times the frustration and the thwarting in your life is because you want to go away, but you're not wired for that. You're not wired to do what you want to do. I want to be a real estate developer if you really want the truth. That's my dream. That's my ambition. You know how many times I tried to do that? Oh, my gosh. Endless amounts of times. And every time the Lord would, like, crack me in back in the head, and I'd have to go right back over here. And, you know, and I'd go, I want to do this. This is what I, you know, this is good to me. And the Lord goes, this is what I made you for, and this is great to me. And you have a choice between goodness and greatness. And you can, you can stand between the two, or finally you can just go, I'm going to stop, and I'm going to pursue what God has set before me, and he has set before you greatness. That's what he has. 
And so God, so you learn to hear him, you learn to trust him. This is why prophetic is so important in the church is because we have to learn to practice the presence of God. We have to learn to hear the Lord in the midst of your sorrow, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of the things that you're going through. God has a word for you. He has comfort for you. He has encouragement for you. He has counsel for you. He's the wonderful counselor. He has so much. That's why that's, that's an important part of the process. You learn to hear him. You practice the presence. I'll just give you another one. I shared this first service. My daughter lost a baby. Her baby died. Uh, my grandson died about four years ago, three, three years ago. Um, he died in uh, part of a long string of, shall we say, setbacks um, that was occurring during that time. And uh, it was really painful for me. I couldn't even uh, deal with it and didn't even really want to talk about it. And most definitely didn't want to talk to the Lord about it. Um, you know, never blamed God, but I just, it, just, it was just such a, a, a heartache that I didn't even want to look at it, right? So my daughter's married. She has a um, new baby, Rowan, wonderful. And uh, so I was praying for, I was just, you know, I prayed for different things. But I was, a couple of days ago, I was specifically praying for Rowan. And I always, I always put the Holy Spirit on him. I told my daughter, I said, he's going to know the anointing from the time he's born with the power of God on him. And so I was praying for him, and I, I felt like the Lord was, I was praying over him and just well-being and health, and I felt like the Lord was just telling me things about him. And, um, and I just randomly, I said, you know, well, what about Ben, which was the baby that died? And clear as a bell, I heard the Lord go, Kevin, he had a heart defect. Was that clear? Yeah. And they didn't know why he died. He died in his sleep, and he died sleeping like this. They found him like this, you know, and um, he was like in a normal position. And nobody in the autopsy, they said they don't, there's no way that they could tell because he's too small that he died. And so it's just really, really wild. And I happened to pick up the phone and I was talking to my daughter and I was saying, hey, I just wanted to tell you, I was praying for Rowan. She's like, oh, thanks, daddy, and all that stuff. And I said, I felt like the Lord told me about Ben. And I just told her the whole story. I said, I just heard it was just so clear. And the Lord said he had a heart defect. And my daughter was really emotional about that. She's like, you know, I've blamed myself for years for that. You know, she said, I've blamed myself she goes, that would make sense. And she said, but I, you know, and I just, it's in the midst of your pain, God has a word, right? And somebody said, well, why didn't he tell you that three years ago? I, I wasn't in the position to receive that three years ago. I didn't care what he told me. There was no words that were going to comfort me in that time. There was, you, there was no words. Sometimes words, it doesn't matter if Jesus himself comes down in Shekinah and offers you comfort. You're, there are moments where, where there is no comfort. The words don't comfort you. That's why he gives us his presence, because his presence surpasses what the words can't do. The words can't, help, can't, can't comfort you, but his presence can. And that's why the presence is, and that's another reason why he gives us the spirit, is because we're so screwed up emotionally. And you guys know the peace of God, the shalom of God, that's the first thing it does is calm the emotion, right? We talk about the peace of God, the emotions. Why? Because he knows we're jacked up emotionally, you know, and he calms you down, <laughs> But we learn to hear the Lord out of these moments. And sometimes you go through stuff and you don't know why and you don't understand. And he may not tell you till you're long past it. He may not give you the answer to that question till years down the road. But he has a word. And he has a word in season. Job's perspective was that no matter what I do, I will not account this evil to the Lord. See if I can do this right. This is the foundation of all right thinking about the Lord. If you want to think correctly and you want to think according to the kingdom, you must know and believe that God is good. 
No matter what the circumstances are, God is not the author of evil ever, ever. And so I'm going to blast it because I told the Lord every time I come up against the sovereignty within the church, I'm going to nail it. I'm going to hit it with a broadside. The church teaches this understanding that God is sovereign over all. That's true. Absolutely. So I want to be on record. I agree with that in principle, but I don't agree with that in full because in his sovereignty, he's delegated authority. In other words, if God is sovereign over all, that means the, the, the argument is then everything that happens is God's will. Everything that happens is not God's will. Let's be clear. That's where that doctrine leads. That's not in the Bible. Jesus said, every good, every good and perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow or turning. So if it's not good and perfect, it didn't come from Jesus. John 10.10 10 says, I've come to give you life and more abundantly. The thief, that is the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He shows us what's going on. He shows us a binary world, good God, bad devil. So this sovereignty doctrine doesn't hold water. I just gave you two little verses, and it could be, you could build it out even more. And the problem with sovereignty is, is, well, you lost that job because it was God's will. No, you, didn't. you probably didn't lose that job because it was God's will, but God will use it. That's the difference. He'll use your losses for his gains. He'll lose your losses for your gains. But not everything that happens to you is the will of the Lord. Because if you accept that everything is happening to you as God's will, then what you do is then you, author, then you ascribe evil to the Lord. Because let's just be honest, there's a lot of evil things that happen to us. Can I get a witness? And if you believe that everything that happens to you is God's will, then you will end up committing a fatal error, and that is ascribing evil to the Lord. And you cannot ascribe evil to the Lord. Because what it, it not, and that's just wrong on so many levels, but just on a human level, what it will do to you is you will not trust him. Because you don't know if you're going to get his hand of comfort or if he's going to knock you upside the head. You ever seen a kid that's been beat or has been abused? Somebody that's been abused, as soon as you lift a hand towards them, they're like this. Right? Even their own father, their own father that would beat him or do something to him. If, if the father reached out to touch him, you'd see a kid do this. Because he doesn't know if the kid's he's going to get punched or if he's going to get comfort. God's not like that. You need to know all that God, the Lord is good. 100% of the time, he's good. Situations happen in your life because of a brokenness of this world. We have a bad devil. We have a broken system. We have, broken, we have sinful people, sinful world, sinful choices. That's where evil comes from. That needs to be clearly understood. We cannot ascribe evil to God. If you do, you've completely, you dismantle almost all of the doctrines, particularly the New Testament. You've dismantled the goodness of God. Well, they went to hell because it was God's will. Really? Really? That's a, that's a dispensational doctrine. That's another teaching of, of predestination. Completely wrong. Completely wrong. They went to hell because God said it would, God, God willed it. Really? It is God's will that none, be, that none perish, but that all come to salvation. That's a clear verse. So it's God's sovereign will that everybody come and be saved. Can we, can we agree with that? God so loved the whole world so that whosoever, he wants the whole world to come to him. Then he tells us again that God's will is that none perish. God is not slack concerning his promises, but his desire is that none perish and that all come to repentance. So what do you do with that one? God's sovereign will is that the whole world be saved. That's his sovereign will. But is, the sovereign, is everyone going to be saved? No. Why? Because he's delegated authority. God's will is that man be saved, but he has given man the authority over his own life and over his own choices. 
And in that authority, you can partner with his kingdom or you can partner with the culture. You have a choice. You can partner with his kingdom that brings you to salvation or you can partner with the culture that will lead you to damnation. You can partner with his kingdom that will bring you to blessing or you can partner with the culture that will bring you to the curse. Life, death, blessing, curse, and choose. Very clear. And God again, and there again, I go back to the Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, he says the same thing. I'm giving you life. I put before you life, death, blessing, and cursing. I will, in other words, I sovereignly choose that you have life. But you must choose what you want. I want life for you, but I can't do it for you. Why? Is God not sovereign? No, he's delegated authority. You're like, why are you making such a point? This stuff is taught wholesale in the church wholesale. Well, must be the will of God. You, you can't accept it. I, I got booted out of a couple of movements, and my wife was like, can't you just get along, Kevin? <laughs> I, I don't want to please men. I want to know what the Lord, I want to know his heart. I want to know what's real. I want to know what's true. And if it's true that God's sovereign over all, then we need to, then, then we need to re- realign our doctrine. But the problem is, is that that's not true. It's true that he, again, has authority. It's kind of like the president of the United States is the head of the military. Can we agree with that? Or the mayor is the head of the city. But you don't see the mayor driving around in a cop car. You don't see the mayor running in and running the budget office. You don't see the president driving around in a tank. They're an authority, but they delegate the authority. They put the power in the other people's hands. That's what the Lord does. And he does it so that he can glory in you. So that when he sees you operating as he's designed you to, he can go, that's my son. That's my daughter. They know who they are. Look at the power. Look at the authority. Look at the kingdom that moves through their lives. Look at the born through the right choices. That's why he does it. So have I made my point? (laughs) You cannot vacate his goodness ever. You may not understand the situation just like Job. Job's like, I don't understand this. This is beyond my understanding, but I know that God is good. Goodness produces hope, and hope produces faith, and faith is the currency of heaven. Heaven will not move with human need. Heaven moves with faith. And when you don't have faith, you need to look to the areas of your life where you have no hope. If you don't have the faith to believe God, that means there's hopelessness there. And hopelessness is rooted in a lie. Every area of your life that is not under the influence of hope is under the influence of a lie, period. If you don't have faith that God's going to change your circumstances or that he will, or you don't have faith that something's going to happen and you're hopeless, then you have to to go back and look at where's this hopelessness coming from. And the hopelessness is coming from a lie. You believe a lie. I'm not worthy. Who told you that? God won't do it for me. Who told you that? I've done too much. Circumstances are too screwed up. Nothing's going to change. Who told you that? You're believing a lie. And those lies are what are enslaving you. Those lies are what are keeping you from hope. And without hope, you cannot have faith. And without faith, you will not move heaven. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Heaven does not move by human need. You can cry all you want. Oh, Lord, don't you see? Oh, God, I've served you for oh, so many years. Oh, you can cry and weep at the altar all you want. Can't you see how desperate my situation is, Lord? Oh, heaven doesn't move. Heaven moves when a son and daughter goes, I'm your son, 
And Lord, I know that my future is bright because you said so. I choose to align myself with the hopeful future that you have. And I know, and Lord, I ask you right now to provide me the wisdom. And Father, that you give me the discernment to recognize the open doors when you set before me. So right now, I just declare the open doors to be presented to me. Heaven pivots. I'm telling you, Jesus' head will turn around if he hears faith. Will the Son of Man find faith on the earth when he comes? Look at how many times Jesus was moved. And what moved him? Faith. The centurion. Faith. The woman with the issue of blood. Faith. The Syrophoenician woman. Faith. Faith moves him. Without faith, nothing moves him. Human need, man, doesn't move him. So stop lamenting, stop crying, stop having a pity party for yourself. If you're a Christian, take your rightful place as a son and daughter, claim your inheritance, stop feeling sorry for you. We've, everybody's got issues. We all have issues. So stop nursing your issue. We're not born in Nazi Germany. We're all being sent off to the, we're, we're born in the greatest generation in the greatest period of time in history. There is more opportunity afforded to more people in this time and this space than at any other time before. Sure, we got challenges, but you live in an era of opportunity. So stop lamenting and crying over your excuses. Everybody has them. We all got them. <laughs> I got one witness. That's all I need. <laughs> Faith will be tested. Say this, a faith that is not tested is no faith at all. Your faith will be tested. Do you know why? Because God's going to show you it's true. My promises are true. You will stand when others fall. You will walk through what others sink in. You will be victorious when countless others have been defeated by the same thing. You will stand. True. James says, be glad. Oh, I love that. This, this, I'll tell you, I have a lot of favorite verses. This is not one of my favorites, okay? This one, this one is one that bothers me. This one in Love Your Enemies, that's the other one that really bothers me, you know? <laughs> that one bothers me. I'm like, yeah, I'm working on it. God, help me. I need your spirit. And then even when his spirit comes and, he want, and, I want, and then I'm still, I'm still like, I don't, I don't want to love him, Lord. I don't know. Holy Spirit wants to, but I'm not too sure I do. I, I'm not, you know pray for me. This is another one. Be glad when you go through trouble. Oons, 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 oons. Yeah, party. Troubles come. You know that you have what you endured. Your faith will be tested, but your faith is going to produce something. That's what the Bible says, and it's true. It does produce something. The trial, the tribulation transforms you. You're transformed by it. And what happens is, is if you partner with Jesus and you endure what is set, you endure it with faith, your transfer, you become stronger. You're more powerful for some strange reason than you were before. If you're like weak and, you know, an invalid when you go through it, well, you're still going to come through it. And you might have some hope, wow, Jesus did deliver me, but you won't experience the same level of strength that you could have if you had faith with him through the trial. You'll still be delivered. You'll still, God will still bring you victory. He will, not, he will not let his Holy One see corruption. That's clear. That's not just in the grave in the afterlife. That's in this world too. He will not let his servants see corruption. He will not. And that's true or let's all go fishing. And so you can partner with him. God's going to show up and he's going to deliver you and he's going to free you. He'll do it just for the sake of his inheritance and you're in his inheritance. For no other reason other than he wants to. For no other reason is that he refuses to let his children be subject to devils. 
for no other reason that he refuses to let his, subject, his children be subject to a culture that grinds them to powder. Now, the problem is, is that, the, that we as Christians, we tend, to like, we tend to help the process along. Culture's grinding us to powder, and we're kind of partnering with the culture, making it happen. But a whole different world will happen if you partner with the kingdom. The R, so T-R, so oh, unite with others. That was, was the U. So the T, the, oh, excuse me, that's the next one. So the T is tell Jesus how you feel. The R is refuse to be bitter. Crickets. <laughs> refuse to be bitter. You can get bitter or you can get better. Bitterness is a root. The Bible says that bitterness is a root. In other words, bitterness will lodge in you and will begin to grow. Hebrews 12, 14 says, pursue peace with all people and holiness. What holiness is talking about is purity, purity of heart. So it's talking about try to reconcile and try to make peace with all people and be pure in your heart. The only problem with that is, is you can't make peace with people who don't want peace. That's impossible. But as for you and I, we are to try to make peace if it's possible. And we're to try to keep our hearts pure. It says, without this idea or without this attempt at reconciliation, holiness, which is purity, which is stuff that comes from God, no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. What's the grace of God? Spiritual empowerment with love. You're going to fall short of the spiritual empowerment with love by a root of bitterness. So if you're, if you're living out of bitterness, the spiritual empowerment in love that God has available to you is not there because the root of bitterness is choking it out. Say this with me. Life is not always good, but Jesus is. No, come on. Life is not always good. This is, what, this is why Christians need to smile, because you know what? Life isn't always good, but Jesus is, and he loves you, and that's even more reason to smile. He's for you even when you're against you. He loves you that much. So here's what Job learned. Job learned that Jesus will never stop loving you, Job's in this situation, and he says, you're the source of my life. You have showered me with kindness, and you have watched over me. In the midst of his trial, Job is saying, the Lord was kind to me. In the midst of the trial, Lord, you have watched over me. God will protect you in the midst of your trial. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You've been going through things, and the Lord's just being kind to you. Just kindness comes to you for no reason. For no reason. And the Lord will watch over you. The second thing that Job learned is that God will protect him in your weakness. Trials, tribulations, setbacks make you weak. You're vulnerable. Nobody likes to be vulnerable. And so these situations make us vulnerable. They make us feel exposed. And the Lord says, he protects the sorrowful, Job 5.11, and he lifts up those who've been disgraced. (laughs) Amen. It's like, excuse me for a moment. And the third thing Job learned is God has a plan for him. In spite of everything. This Job, by the way, is the oldest book in the Bible. Right? It's ancient, ancient, ancient story. And so Job learned, long before Jeremiah, long before Romans, Job learned that God's going to work it out for his good. He said, and God will do exactly what he has intended for me. His purposes will prevail. In spite of these situations, in spite of these circumstances, see, here's the correct theology. God did not cause them, but he will use them. That's correct thinking. That's kingdom thinking. God did not cause these events, but God will use them, and he will bring cause his purposes to come about through them. Habakkuk says this. He says, even though the fig trees have no fruit and there's no grapes on the vines, even though the olives crops fail and the fields produce no grain, though I have no sheep and all of them die and the cattle stalls are empty, I will still be joyful because the Lord is my God and Savior. What it's telling us is find a reason to get happy. 
look around, there's not a lot of reasons to get happy sometimes. Look, I'm with you. I'm not a pessimist. You know, I like the sunny side of the street personally. You know, I'm more of an optimist than I am a pessimist, but I'm also a realist. And I realize that pain is part of, this is a tragic, malevolent world. I realize that. And that pain happens and that things happen. And, and, and if we're going to look around us and we're going to look for a reason to get happy, we're going to look for a reason to praise the Lord. There's not going to be a lot of them, you know, because life doesn't always present an opportunity. And what Habakkuk is saying here is no matter what's going on, I choose to pray. I choose to find a reason to thank him. I choose to find a reason to be grateful. I choose to find a reason to praise him. The you is unite with others. Why do we want to unite with others? Because you weren't meant to do it alone. Jesus has created a family and it's called the church. Christian, you need the church. You need the church. You don't need the church corporate. You need the church intimate. We create church corporate. And I'm all about big church. I'm all about church corporate. I get it. I understand it. It's structure. It's needed. But if church corporate cannot create church intimate, then we are failing in the design. Church corporate must create church intimate. What is church intimate? Relationships one to the other. We're created to, be, to relate one to the other. We're created to serve one another. We're created to pray for one another. We're created to encourage one another. Amen. And we create the, amen, we create a codependency on the pastor. It's not a codependency on the pastor. We're codependent on Jesus. We're interdependent upon each other. It's one to the other. My job is to teach you how to minister to each other, how to encourage one another, how to pray for each other, how to, you know, be, be part of a family, be a functioning part of a family. That's why small groups are important. They're very important because they encourage you. You're not alone. People can pray for you. People can encourage you. Say, I don't get anything out of it. Then why don't you give something to it? People go to small group and go, I didn't get anything out of it. And I go, well, probably because you're supposed to minister. You're supposed to do something in that group because the group is not for you to receive. It's for you to give. We teach Christians all about receiving. You just need to come to receive. Well, sometimes you get so full that you, there's nothing more you can receive. Can I get a witness? I mean, I've been like, I used to go to church, and there was, I could not receive one more thing, you know? And I would complain. I'm like, I don't know, there's nothing more I can receive. And then the Lord goes, well, why don't you try giving for a change? I'm like, wow, mind bomb, mind bomb. And so I changed my thinking, and I was a part of a ministry, and instead of going there to receive because I wasn't getting much, I went there, and I intentionally decided I'm going to minister I'm going to find people in this congregation, and I'm going to minister to them, and I'm going to pray for them, and I'm going to encourage them, and I wouldn't leave. I, would, I was the last guy to leave. I was one of the elders. I was the last guy to leave. I was always there. And when anybody needed prayer, they'd always go, go get Kevin. You know why? Because they knew I would minister to them. They knew I would pray for them. Well, how did I get to that point? Not because I'm so kind, you know. It was because I had received to such a degree that I could receive no more. And so the, my next level of value wasn't in receiving. My next level of value was in serving and in giving. That's why it's all part of the process. That's why Christian goes from church to church to church to church to church, and it's all good. We're all on a journey, but what has to happen is it's eventually, just like the Bible says, you need to become a teacher or you need to be a participant in this gospel. So I don't go to small group because I don't get anything out of it. Well, why don't you give something to it? Somebody's there with a need and you go, I'll pray. Somebody's there and they have a discouragement and you go, let me encourage you, you know? Somebody's there, whatever the need is, why don't you step up? I don't care if it's four words and a mumble, it's effective. Prayer is about power more so than it is about words. You can just go, I just released the anointing over you, and you can do it by faith. You say, I don't feel anything. Oh, well, it's by faith. You can feel power. I feel power all the time. I love it. Let the power flow. I'm all down. I'm all in on power. But sometimes I pray for people, and I don't feel any power. But I know it does, that, does, that, that doesn't change the fact that something's happening. 
when we are foolish. If Jesus has told us to lay hands on people and, and we don't think anything's happening, we don't know what we're talking about. Something's happening. The enemy may be veiling it, but something's happening. You're created. The Bible says this. Here it is. Eliehu, one of, uh, Eli, Elihu, the, one of Job's friends, he says, listen, your pain that you've endured may cause you to sneer at God. Don't sneer at God because of your pain. He says, you will not find richness Richness and reputation cannot protect you from distress. Isn't that true? No matter what you build around your life to try to insulate you, that's not going to protect you. He says, nor can you find safety in the dark world below. Safety is not found in you going back and doing all the dark things you used to do. Safety is not found in the dark world of depression or alcoholism or drug addiction. Safety is not found there. Others have praised God for what he has done. Go and find them. Go find some people who are praising Jesus and go get in their company. Go sing along. Go walk along. Say, I don't feel like it. Praise is a thing that you you don't feel your way into it. You just do it. Nobody, seldomly, do do you feel your way into praise. Seldom. Oh, I feel like praising the Lord. No, you don't. You don't. You don't feel like praising God. Romans says rejoice with those, but you, you, start, you start praising God, and all of a sudden, the wind starts coming into your sails, and you start sensing the power of God, but it wasn't there before, because you don't feel your way into praise. You step into praise. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing, weep with those who weep. Paul says this in um, Philippians, he tells the church, he said, I was going through a lot of crazy stuff, but because you prayed for me, that my trouble has turned into freedom. This again is speaking of community. You know, Romans is saying, listen, we need, to, we need to be there when people are crying. We need to be there when people are happy. We need to be those people in each other's lives. And we also need to pray for one another so that, so that this trouble turns into freedom. What would happen? Trouble-free zone. Wouldn't that be crazy? If we just dropped power down on this stuff and we were so prayerful to one another and so declarative to one another that everything just, I mean, it's just like, there's a verse in Solomon. You know, there's a verse that the Bible says this. I, I, this is like, such a, the Bible says that Solomon didn't even have an adversary. God had given him such a level of peace. So in other words, the Bible's showing us what's possible, saying that's possible. If God gave it to Solomon, he'll give it to you. It said Solomon didn't even have an adversary. What if we could have a cancer-free zone? What if we could have an adversary-free zone? Like, man, nobody in this church has problems. Why? Because we drop power down on it with prayer. Like, oh, go afflict some people over at Elevate. The devils are going to go, no, I don't think so. My arm still isn't healed from the last beat down I got when I tried that. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to go back. S is surrender to Jesus. Surrender your, your future to Jesus. First, 2 Corinthians 4, 17. This is, this is, one, this is again, one of my favorite ones. Not one of my non it says, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working in us a more exceeding eternal weight of glory. It says, what you're going through in the scope of time is a moment. It's painful, but heaven sees it as a light affliction that's only for a moment. And this light affliction that's only for a moment is making you stronger, is making you powerful, is transforming you. Come on. Pain causes us to evaluate what's right, what's wrong. Pain causes us to prepare and causes us to change. When you put your hand on a hot stove, you learn something, don't you? You learn not to put your hand on a hot stove. (laughs) So pain causes us to go, hmm, I don't think I should do that again. Last is the T is trust. Trust Jesus with obedience. 
God's going to give you counsel in the middle of your problems. He's going to give you counsel in the middle of your trial. He will, 100% of the time. One of my favorite stories is when they kidnapped Jeremiah, and they, all the people, this is crazy. I just, I just have to share it. So God gives the people direct instruction. He goes to the prophet Jeremiah, and the Jeremiah tells the people, stay here, don't run away, surrender to the Babylonians. God is going to give you peace. He's going to protect you. Clear instruction. Well, they decide, well, we're not going to do that. And, he, and, and part of the instruction was, do not go down to Egypt. Don't run away to Egypt. Stay here. The Babylonian king is going to have grace on you. God's given him grace for you. He's going to protect you. You, you know, you surrender to him. It's all going to go good. And then they decide, no, we're not going to do that. And so the people just get up in revolt and run down to Egypt. But just in case, they take Jeremiah along, right? So they're going to bring, bring, bring the word of the Lord with them. Just in case, even though they're disobeying the word of the Lord, and sure enough, everything goes sideways. Everything goes wrong. And this is an important understanding. All of this stuff goes crazy. All of this stuff goes wrong. And the people are like, wow, we've really screwed this up. And they go to the prophet. They go, is there a word from the Lord? (laughs) And the amazing part of that is, is Jeremiah goes, there is. There is. Even in the midst of your trouble, even in the midst of your stupidity, even in the midst of your rebellion, there is a word from the Lord, and it is gracious, and it is kind, and it is reconciling, and it is hopeful. He will give you a word. That's why, that's why we have to trust, and we have to commune with his spirit, and we have to learn to hear him. The Holy Spirit will guide you through the trial. He'll tell you what to do. He'll guide you. Have peace. He'll, he'll, whatever the instruction is, he's going to lead you. He'll show you what to focus on. A lot of you, you have setbacks, and you're looking for a comeback. you got to reach the place to acknowledge as that happened, and acknowledge all the mistakes, and then look to the Lord and say, I want a comeback. And then when he tells you how to get a comeback, you need to do what he tells you. A lot of times, we don't do what he tells us to. And we don't do what he tells us to because we think we've got a better idea. We do. No, that can't be right. Or what we fail to do is we fail to see the association between what God is telling us and what we're asking him for. You're asking him for this, and he tells you to do this. And Because we cannot associate the two, we don't believe that we should obey what he told us. How could that be possible? I'm believing God for a million dollars, and I have $100,000 in the bank, and he just told me to give away 80. How could that possibly be possible? You want a million dollars? I have $80,000 I want, to dro- I want you to drop today. Oh, that can't be possible. Lord, I didn't ask you where to give my money away. I asked you for a million dollars. He's going to give you something, and people go, it doesn't make any sense. Jesus isn't logical. He doesn't, the problem, our problem is that we try to relate to God on the level of logic. Last week, I told you, Jesus is too creative to be logical. He doesn't dwell in the realm of logic. Jesus' realm is wisdom and revelation. That's where he comes from. And when he's dealing with you, and he's relating to you. He's dealing with you on the level of wisdom. Wisdom, you know what wisdom is? I'm going to give you a clear definition. Wisdom is everything he says. So you want wisdom? Whatever the Lord says. If you do what he says, you're wise. And so he's like, I'm going to deal with you not in logic, Kevin. I'm going to deal with you in wisdom. And when you learn to treasure my voice, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from my mouth. That's not your sustenance. Logic isn't your sustenance. My commands to you are. When you learn that, you're going to get wisdom. God comes from the world of wisdom and revelation, not from logic. And so we, we, we have a hard time. And so this is why we conflict with what he tells us to. We're in conflict with what he tells us to because it doesn't make logical sense to us. You need to get over that. 
church is trapped in logic. We need to get past it. That's, I mean, we, we are, it's logic. He's not in logic. We need, the Father is looking for worshipers who will worship the Lord in logic and in truth. No, who worship him in spirit and in truth. And spirit is wisdom and revelation. It's not logic. Take time to worship, stillness and honor. Take time to listen and take time to, 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 to obey. God's going to show you. Everybody say it with me. Jesus, Jesus will show me how to come back from my setback. It's true. Whatever the setback is, he has a way. He has a way. Setbacks are powerful opportunities for a comeback when you partner with Jesus. It's amazing. Amen. I'll end it there. <laughs> Let me bless you. Just say this. Jesus, I choose to partner with every opportunity for a comeback in my life. Even if I'm not having setbacks right now, whenever there's a setback, I choose to partner with you for my comeback. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way and may he give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. They're cutting me off, you see? Yeah, he's done.